HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway, and we're here in Brooklyn. But just yesterday, I was actually upstate, and I can't think of a more perfect guest and more perfect book to talk about today um, than the book I'm holding right now, because I actually just went apple picking at an orchard, and I have tons of apples in my home. And my guest today has written a book called Apples of Uncommon Character, 123 Heirlooms, Modern Classics, and Little Known Wonders. And it's a wonderful, um, rich story and history about apples in America. The author is James Beard Award-winning author Rowan Jacobson. Hi, how are you? Hey, Kathy. Good to be here. I can't think of a more perfect place to be to talk about it. Thanks so much for joining. And uh, your first book, was it your first book, The Geography of Oysters? Yeah, it was. That was a fantastic book. And... It, it just it really catapulted oysters in my uh, mind as something so special, and I feel like, um, you know, it, it is a very complex organism too. But uh, like apples right now is like just the the biggest like buzzword in my head right now. Maybe because it's you know apple growing season, it's apple picking season, it's apple recipe making season. But they're fascinating. So thanks so much for shedding a light on something that seems so otherwise maybe ordinary. Yeah, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons I wrote the book is because we had this this idea in our head that the apple is kind of ordinary. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a modern idea. Like, for a long time, the apple was, like, core to having a, a good, fun, full existence. Mm-hmm. And they're so various, too. Um, this book, uh, you know, por- it portrays, it uh, shows us... 123 varieties that I, many of them I haven't heard of. I'm starting to get more, more and more accustomed to some of them, um, such as the ones that I have in front of me right now. Yeah, you got some nice ones there. Yeah, so 
Let's see. Now, this one, I'm not sure if we identified yet. This is our mystery apple here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, could be, it could be a lot of things. It's the like, neon specs are telling me it might be Honeycrisp, because I know they had some at the farm. Could be. It's a baby Honeycrisp, uh, but it could be a baby Honeycrisp. Now, I'll, I'll tell you that I had a hard time uh, picking these apples. As you might know, it's sort of the end of the season for apple picking, so all the apples remaining were at the tops of the trees. Yeah, right. So there was some climbing, <laughs> there was some rustling, there was some catching um, and falling on apples on the ground uh, involved. Uh, so that's why I'm not exactly sure what all of these are. But um, maybe, would you like to do a taste test? Well, this will tell us if it's a Honeycrisp, because uh, obviously the, the yeah. thing about Honeycrisp is... They're crisp. Crisp, <laughs> like ultra crisp. I think, I think that's actually a trademark term. So. But anyway, yeah, uh, Honeycrisp is famous for his Christmas. So let's see what we get here. Let's see, is it a all real right. Honeycrisp? That sounds... Crisp. It's a pretty crisp apple, but it's not a honey crisp. <laughs> honey crisps have a unique kind of crispness to it. They like they're they're crisp like a Cheeto is crisp. Okay. Like they're foamy <laughs> and they kind of go like poof when you uh, bite into them. I, I, you wrote that they cleave cleanly from <laughs> your teeth right. when they break break into the right. Flesh. And this didn't do that. No. It was a tasty apple though. Yeah. So honey crisps are also known for their sweetness, aren't they? Like, one of the sweetest apples too. People talk about that, but it's funny. They're actually not. That's in peop- everyone thinks they like the Honeycrisp because of the flavor, but they don't. They like it because of the texture. Mm. It's just that the incredible, like the cells are really big in a Honeycrisp. Yeah. So when you and they're filled with juice, so when you bite into it, it just basically explodes in your mouth, hmm. and juice goes everywhere. Like, I think whoosh. of it sort of as a watermelon rind. You know that really yeah. like, when you crack yeah. it and go break it in half after you're done eating the the red parts off. Yeah. Exactly. And this is the same deal. If you look at a watermelon rind, you can see the cell. The cells are big enough. You can see the individual cells. Same mm-hmm. thing with a Honeycrisp, which is not true with other apples so much. So Honeycrisp were developed fairly recently, and it seems to follow a sort of trend of more and more crisp, maybe less tart or or yeah. more sweet apples. Yeah. Well, you know, we're here in the Northeast. We're headed? We are the last hold. Us in England are the last holdouts in the tart apple you know, like appreciation society. The rest of the world likes sweet apples without any real tartness. And we meaning Asia, West Coast. Uh, what would an apple like that be? Red- Fuji is okay. uh, well, yeah, red delicious and Fuji are probably the uh, and golden delicious maybe. Yep, golden delicious. Golden delicious can be a little tart sometimes, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, uh, Fuji, Gala, red delicious. These are all like the Pacific Rim apples that have taken over the world. So we are the weird holdouts out okay. here on the East Coast. Yeah, I, it's fascinating. Fuji's, uh, I remember, you know, in my lifetime coming around, and now they're like the dominant apple in the world. Yeah, Fuji and Gala are like on a, a world domination campaign. And those are similar sort of sweet apples. Very sweet, kind of tropical. Only a, a touch of tartness, if uh-huh. even that. Um, and that's how most people like their apples. And <laughs> reading this book, I'm becoming aware of a certain apple connoisseur that I wasn't too aware of before, but it is, am I correct that um, the sort of sweet apples are are sort of like the Bud Light of apples? Like they're sort of <laughs> banal? Well, yeah, less complexity of flavor. Uh. Like the great apples, which we haven't seen in supermarkets in decades, uh, or actually we've never seen them in supermarkets, all the, the apples that have really interesting flavors just did not make the cut because they don't produce as well as the, the red right. deliciouses of the world. So this guy right here, the wine sap. 
Wine's the most important apple the South has ever grown. Should be real crisp. I could hear that. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little starchy, too. Is that because it's underripe? Probably underripe. It has this, like, viscous starchiness that I was noting yesterday. Because I ate, like, I don't know, eight or nine apples yesterday while I was picking these. That's a lot of apples. Yeah. And then this guy is a Northern Spy. Northern Spy is just an awesome apple. And that should be pretty crisp. Mm. And, and pretty tart. Hey, can I taste that? Mm-hmm. That, that sounded good. That one's really good. Okay. I want to understand how we came about all these different apple preferences and how they've evolved from, like, Red Delicious and Granny Smith to, to what we're seeing right here and going forward. But first things first, <laughs> a little apple basics. <laughs> So if I'm holding um, an apple, okay, let me start. If I have this tomato that I'm eating, say it's a a brandywine tomato, and I want to grow this in my garden, I would take out a seed from this great brandywine tomato, um, plant it in my soil next spring, and I'd have that exact brandywine tomato plant. But if I want to grow, let's say, Macintosh apple tree, I'm holding this, I'm eating this great Macintosh apple, I want that tree. I plant it in the soil. What happens? You do not get a Macintosh. You, you get a tree that produces an apple that the world has never seen before because every seed in every apple is a unique individual, just like we are. Mm-hmm. So it'll create a unique apple. So the saying that apple f- doesn't fall far from the tree is actually not that true. The apple falls wicked far from the tree, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, so farmers have learned to produce the apples that they want, like this wine sap or like that northern spy, by taking uh, a seedling, taking a uh, grafting, basically. Right. Yeah. You got You take a little. A cut. You cut a shoot off the tree mm-hmm. and you graft it to a, an existing rootstock. Basically, you're cloning the tree. You're it's, cloning this apple by yeah. taking that seedling and grafting it onto right. something else. Asexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. As soon as sex is introduced, it all goes to hell. So you got to keep sex out of it. And and that's what we do with pears, apricots, cherry trees. This is grafting is is required to create the same type of species or varietal. Um, but apples are a little different, which you point out, um, in that they spontaneously produce on their own. So left to the wild, um, to, at their own devices, apples will still produce these amazing different apples over time. Right. I mean, you think about most of our other, other foods, like, you know, corn, cows, whatever. If, as soon as we stop taking care of them, they pretty much just, like, you know, pack it in. Apples, as soon as we t- stop taking care of them, they go crazy. They uh-huh. like all those those apples. It, every single one will, you know, get eaten by a bear or a deer or something, and those seeds will all reproduce. Apples have basically never met a climate that they couldn't work with. Hmm. I just got an email like half an hour ago from a guy who's growing apples in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And he said apples do incredibly well in the African tropics, and that nobody realizes that. Wow! So they'll and, go anywhere. I'm, and, and this is ancient too, because people have been learning to graft and produce different varietals of apples that they liked or that grew well in their climate for how long? Thousands. So, yeah, definitely yeah. thousands. The Romans they were big into apples. Mm-hmm. They had all their name varieties, and so that was what two thousand years ago. I think the Chinese same deal. And the uh, apples originated around the Tian Shan Mountains and passed through the Silk Road to Western Europe? Right. They were from those, those mountains on the border between Kazakhstan and China, which was the Silk Road. 
So suddenly the traders and their horses were coming through, and apples were like, I can hijack a, a ride on those guys. Mm-hmm. So um, they immediately just went all over Europe and all over Asia. And, and then flash forward to the Americas. They came from colonists um, who yeah. brought them along. And it sounds like... Uh, not too many of the early settlers knew much about grafting, but just from having apples um, and having those different seeds scattered around, you know, spitting the seeds out, uh, shucking the or chucking the cores here and there, the apples propagated in America. Like nowhere else. Mm. They'd never kind of had so much virgin territory to work with. And we planted, we probably planted millions of seeds throughout the, you know, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s. And so every one of those seedlings was a, was like you know a potential Honeycrisp. Hmm. So we had like seven thousand varieties of apples by the eighteen hundreds. And, and was much of this due to a gentleman known as Johnny Appleseed? He what did his, his part. Deal? What, why was he going around planting <laughs> apples? His deal. He was a little weird. Okay. Um, his deal was yeah. Well, first it was just it was a money making scheme. He realized that all these uh, homesteaders were going to need apple trees. In mm-hmm. fact, often the the homesteading laws required you as a homesteader to plant 50 trees or 100 okay. apple trees. For longevity, for yeah, posterity's to, to improve sake. The, okay. Yeah, to, to prove that you were going to be like there mm. long term. Okay. Um, so he would go get ahead of the settlers, like, you know, take his raft down the Ohio River or wherever he was, and he would plant all these little seedling orchards. He would just get seeds for free from cider mills that were, that were making cider. Oh. And, you know, they throw out the pulp, and he's like, hey, can I have those seeds? So he'd take the seeds plant all these um, orchards ahead of the settlers. And then oh. a few years later, when the settlers arrived and needed their trees, he'd be like, hey, I got, I've got i got 5,000 apple trees right here. Oh, so he was he was kind of like a Johnny Apple seedling. Right. He was Johnny he was, Nursery Man. He was like, really. I got a jump start on your apple uh, tree by giving you these different right. seedlings. Very interesting. And uh, I gather that, you know, once um, a lot of Americans did begin grafting um, and selecting apples um, in their farms, they were named after that farm or the farmer. So we have names like Macintosh for a settler in what state was that? Iowa? Uh, John, John Macintosh was actually in Ontario. Ontario. Um, yeah. Okay. Like 1811, okay. he... He noticed these really cool apples on this one tree, this wild tree on his farm. Mm-hmm. And everyone liked the apples, so they began calling it the Macintosh. And he was actually one of those guys who didn't understand grafting. So he started selling his apples to people so that they could <laughs> all have Macintosh trees. And then like six years later, they came back Oops. to him and they're like, hey. Man. <laughs> That's really great. Okay, and who was Granny Smith? Uh, What's Mar- her deal? Maria Ann Smith was this woman who lived Please in Australia. Please don't tell me she was a uh, sailor. <laughs> <laughs> sort right. of a con artist. A, yeah, she had an apple conglomerate. No, <laughs> no, she, like in the 1860s in Australia, she uh, she liked apples. She had a, had a compost pile. Mm-hmm. And she noticed like this apple seedling growing up in her compost pile um, from some apples that she, cores that she had dumped. Uh, and she, it, it like got left alone long enough that it actually produced fruit, and it produced these big, green, really tasty apples. So she started, um, you know, spreading the word about those apples, and they became a big deal, and they got named after her, Granny Smith. Interestingly, I didn't see any Granny Smith apples at the uh, farm I went to. We don't grow them very much um, on the East Coast, almost not at all. They, oh, okay. You know, they're Australian originally, so they like a hot, dry climate with a lot oh. of sun. So California grows Granny Smith's. Australia grows the best. 
Um, but Northeast, you know, we're so we're kind of wet and cold. for That's them. interesting. Um, here's an apple that does come from the Northeast. I think I believe New York State. And I'm dying to know more about the origin of its name. It's the one you're holding here. Northern, Northern Spy. Northern Spy. Who is this spy from the north? Yeah, everybody has wondered. And in fact, there's a, there's a, there's restaurant. a restaurant, Northern Spy, which doesn't serve any uh, Northern Spy products. Well, they might at this time of the year. It's a seasonal menu. That's true. Um, and some Northern Spy is one of the great cider apples. So ah. hopefully there's some Northern Spy on tap. Uh, but um, yeah, everyone always wondered, why is it called Northern Spy? And because it's a good pie apple, one theory was that it was originally called Northern Pie, right? And then that got... <laughs> screwed up um northern spice some people thought because it's kind of spicy you know um but i found um i found this letter from somebody in the area back in the 1800s who knew the real story which is that what area was it New um east bloomfield so um finger, yeah okay yeah. finger lakes yeah way up there and uh, which is a great apple area mm-hmm. um so the very first northern spy tree appeared there somewhere around 1800 and whoever named it Northern Spy after a novel, the scandalous novel of like the 1830s, 1840s, that was called The Northern Ooh, Spy, so. which was, it was a, an abolitionist, like a dime store novel. That this was, was a pulp novel. Yeah. And, and the, it was, about a scandalous, sexy Northern Spy? Yeah, he was. He was like straight out of Quentin Tarantino. He, okay. He, would, uh, he pose, would pose as, of course, this is pre-Civil War, he would pose as a slave catcher hmm. to meet up with the other slave catchers mm-hmm. and then he would kill them right it's, okay so i mean quentin tarantino right? he would kill the slave catchers and, and free the slaves free the slaves yeah so he was he was an abolitionist you know in the john back before it was cool in the john brown era um and uh, the novel was you know basically written to further the, mm-hmm. the abolitionist cause mm-hmm. So it was. Uh, it was very it's scandalous. Propaganda. Yeah, and why somebody. Why would they think that? Yeah, go on. Why would they think the apple is like this guy? Well, I think. I mean, taste here. I'm going to hand this apple. I'm going to try to taste the abolitionist apple. Okay. Oh, this oxidizes quickly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> That's not as tart as some, but they can be quite tart. They're kind of acerbic apples. They can it's... get very big. They have big shoulders. I... <laughs> I kind of think I picture John Brown when I'm picturing Northern Spy, you know. I'm thinking of um, what's his name, the guy from that movie, Django Unchained. Uh, you know, the guy who won the Oscar. Oh yeah, the German guy. Yeah, the German yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what this apple tastes like. It exactly. makes perfect sense. If he was an apple, he'd, that's if what I could he'd remember like. his name, that's what he would taste like. Christoph something Walker. Walken. Walken. Walker. Thank you, Liz. Christoph Walker. Thank you. I'm going to... Okay, I know you have an apple orchard and I don't, but if you propagate um, a great tasting apple that has these sturdy, um, bold characteristics, spicy flavors, you might consider the name Christoph Walker. Apple. I'll go for that. Okay. Just putting that just out there. I just call it Kathy. Just, <laughs> just planting that seed, so to speak. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to cut to a quick little commercial interview and be right back. Ten more. Electric light and soul. 
listening to Renee Lopez, ELS. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting more with author Rowan Jacobson, a James Beard Award-winning author who has a new book out called Apples of Uncommon Character. Um, thanks to our producer, Liz, for correcting me. Um, that last apple uh, that, uh, that I want to name, <laughs> in vain of the northern spy apple named for an abolitionist uh, character in a fiction, uh, is the actor from Django Unchained is actually Christoph Waltz. My bad. Um <laughs> So talking about all these different apple varieties and how they've they've come about and the newer ones like Honeycrisp, um, what about some that have just been lost? Have we lost any apple varieties along the way? Oh, man, we've lost more than we've saved. Like I said, there were probably 7,000 varieties back in the, seven, in the 1800s. America, yeah. Yeah, just in America and probably another 5,000 mm, around the world. Who knows, yeah. And then by, uh, well, you know, like... When when we were kids, when we went to a supermarket, there were what three, two? Granny Smith, Red Delicious, maybe Golden Delicious. Yeah, maybe Golden. Um, so yeah, and many varieties, especially Prohibition. Prohibition was rough on apples because so many of these apples were specifically Used for spider, cider. Yeah, for spiders and, right and cider. <laughs> Sorry, right now is Cider Week, not Spider Week. Uh, right, Spider Week, New York week. City. So check out the events lined up for that. <laughs> Yeah, and um, so many, so a lot of those apples that were only for fermenting and uh, alcoholic cider got chopped down. Gone. Gone. Well, at least we have Northern Spies. We do. Spice. We still have the Northern Northern Spies. Or pie. The Christoph Walt apple. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we've got farm. We've got varieties that have come about, but what about the preferences? Like, so why did we choose? Red Delicious. I mean, everyone I, th- I seem to meet is in agreement that this is the worst apple in the history of apples. That they're mealy. They're not taste. They don't taste like anything. The skin. The skin is so thick. I mean, they look really nice, but well, and you you nailed it right there. This is an apple that's f- for looking, not eating. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks great. It's so so deeply red, midnight red, as they call mm. it in the industry. But it, yeah, it tastes terrible. But people kept buying them, and and they would. They could last for months in a oh, store. Oh, I see. So, are they also easier to grow? Because I, I noticed that these some of these varieties are harder to grow than others. Definitely. Some of these heirlooms, yeah. and not even just the heirlooms. A Honeycrisp is a pretty hard apple to grow. That's uh, why they're more expensive. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I see. Um, the Honeycrisp. How did that? That's a fairly recent one, and it's really taken the apple crates by storm. It seems um, everyone I seem to meet that's their favorite apple. I know. Uh, who Who is responsible for this genius crisp apple? A guy named David Bedford at the University of Minnesota. University of Minnesota has is like the um, big upstart in the apple breeding world. <laughs> Cornell, here in New York, was always the dominant player. And, um, and they would name all their apples really boring things like 
liberty and empire. Uh-huh. And, uh, or Cortland. I think and, I have one right here. This yeah, that's an empire. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and then University of Minnesota came along and started naming all their apples as if they were strippers, right? So <laughs> Honeycrisp, Sweet Tango, Zestar, <laughs> Sweet Sixteen, you know? Really? Like, like, and like Cornell's like, hmm, you can't name an apple that. And then, of course, everybody's like, I love those names. So uh, now, well, oh. well, okay, so Cornell's new apples coming out mm-hmm. this year are Snapdragon and Ruby Frost. So they've gotten on board on the, the stripper name. All thing. right. Well, those do, do sound pretty exciting. And maybe a name is, is a big reason for Honeycrisp's success. People it was a really it. good name. It's a really good name. But then, you know, they named their next, their heir to the Honeycrisp, Sweet Tango, with a capital T in the middle. So I think they kind of might have lost their naming mojo. I did see that, and I thought it sounded like, I, I don't know, like a brand name or something. It was a little too much for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So I have a lot of apples now. Best apple for pies. Well, you got it right there. The Northern Spy. The Northern Spy? Yeah. Really? If you're going to make a pie with just one apple, it should be Northern Spy. What about the Empire and the Rome? Isn't that a good baking apple? Yeah. Rome is called baking Baker's Buddy. Baker's Buddy. Because it was such a good baking apple. Um, Empire is solid, too. But, you know, actually... It looks like a Snow White apple, this one. That's a pretty it's apple. It's beautiful. And I love really how is. I'm going to bite it just to see the color. That sounded pretty crisp. Oh, there you go. You're getting a little red in there. So I'm, I'm like showing it to the microphone. It's sort of like Show it magenta. to the people out there. Can they see us? <laughs> They're eating pizza. They don't care right. about apples. Um, it's like magenta. The skin has so much oomph to it that it's bleeding all over the flesh. What do you call that? Is that tannins? I call it oomph. Uh-huh. No, okay. it, um, well, it's uh, actually um, anthocyanins, which is the pigment that makes raspberries red as well. Mm. So you kind of get uh, it, the flavor and the color kind of go together. And the skin is where a lot of the vitamins are in an apple. So does, yeah. does redder or deeper colors mean that it's going to have more vitamins or different mm. ones? That's a great question. <laughs> well, more pigment, more antioxidants, perhaps. Okay. Apples, they're all high in vitamin C. And probably the more acid, the higher. All right. So, uh, best apple for cider? Uh, that's a the highly, uh, you know, debated question. Okay. But um, there's one Northern Spy. Northern <laughs> I hate, to, I hate Spy. to keep going back to Northern Spy, but it's a superb um, versatile cider apple. Yeah, Eve Cidery, which is a, a New York State cider uh, cider maker. They've got a Northern Spy that's in town for Cider Week this oh, week. Oh, cool. It's really good. Eve Cidery. All right. I'll, I got to check out their cider pretty soon. This is hard cider we're talking about, right? Yeah, we're talking hard cider. All right. Um, okay. Maybe Northern Spy is on its way to an all-around uh, gold, but best apple for just eating, in your opinion? Um, yeah, I'm going to... Northern Spy is solid, but <laughs> you, can, you can do better. Um, okay. Well, some people love the Honeycrisp, and, mm-hmm. you know. But that same crispness existed in an apple from the 1920s called Macown or Macoon. Yes. Those are so juicy. They are so juicy and so crisp. They're and like a honey- mild tasting too, right? Or Re- no? Yeah, not a strong flavor, which is also something the Honeycrisp has. It's kind of just, it's like tart enough, sweet enough, but kind of dilute enough to be refreshing. Mm-hmm. So it's like a drink almost. Yeah, Macown. I always yeah. thought it was Macoon. Okay. Well, yeah, everyone th- thinks it's Macoon, but it was actually named after an apple grower from Canada. So, it's from like, Canada, it's, it's McCown, eh? Oh, eh, eh, okay. Well, those are good apples too. I, I'm too bad I didn't see any of those. 
Um, okay, so best apple for what about just regular cider um, that is not hard? You know, Macintosh is actually really good for that. Oh, Ma- they're juicy, right? Super juicy, and they kind of have that like spicy flavor to them. Mm-hmm. They just tend to. They also have thick skin, and they tend to go soft pretty quick. Yeah. So not oh, gross. Right, they get mealy, but pressing for cider, they're perfect. Oh, that's a, that's a good use for them. Yeah, and I. I I believe I, I once made an, a pie or some sort of baked good that I used Macintosh. They were not too good. I, th- I think because they're just kind of watery. Yeah, they just turned to mush. They but to mush. actually, if you're making a pie, the best pie has a mix of apples, like maybe three to five kinds that all do different things. Because mm-hmm. you need like the bricks and the mortar mm-hmm. in your pie. So the bricks would be really firm apples. Uh, but then the mortar would be like a Macintosh, a little bit of glue that will hold it all together. Can I make a crust, an apple pie that has crusts of a different type of apple, and then the filling's one type of apple, and then the top crust is maybe a different kind of apple? Is that what you're? Ooh, you could do that. That would be that would be pretty impressive. So the starchiest apples on the bottom, right? Gooeyest one on the top, and kind of melting down into it. I'm not good enough at baking to to make this a reality, but it's a good idea. I'm going to explore that. That's cool. Um, in, but I believe that cider, isn't that usually just an amalgam of all the apples in an orchard that are pressed? Or do they, is cider usually cider? separate? Yeah, separated between different varietals. Yeah, they'll often do, you know, just like press everything that, mm-hmm. that's left over. Because it's a good way of getting rid of sort of bruised ones, right? Right. But if you really, if you want to have the best flavored cider in the world, you'd be very specific. And there's oh, certain okay. varieties. Like one, there's one called... Um, sheep nose or black mm-hmm. gilliflower that has a clove-like flavor. Mm-hmm. So you press some of that into your cider and it, it makes the cider really great and like almost like Indian spice kind of a style of cider. Wow, that sounds great. I got to taste more ciders for this cider week um, going on right now. Okay, so what about the, the gala and the, um, what's it called, the Fuji apples that we find in the grocery store? What are they best for? They're definitely for fresh eating. Anything mm-hmm. else, and they kind of just like no. fall apart. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. All right. They're best for really throwing at people. <laughs> You're not such a fan of these apples. <laughs> well, actually, Gala can be really good when straight off the tree, but often when you get in a store, it's been kicking around for a while, and it's just flat. Now, we didn't talk too much about this, but um, and I did happen to pick some Fuji apples at Wilkla Orchard yesterday. Um, but most of the apples that we'll see in the store are from Washington State because they grow, what, like 90% of America's apples? Yeah, Washington State dominates because mm-hmm. it's all eastern Washington on the east side of the Cascades. Super dry. It's a desert. They get like four inches of precipitation a year. Um, and so it's all irrigated. Mm-hmm. But actually apples can grow really well in that kind of environment. They get tons of sun. They get super red. They get super sweet. So that's why we see a lot of them. But this time of the year, um, we have apples from from... New York State and the Northeast in general. Yeah, which have a more complicated flavor because of our complicated climate. And our complicated community. Exactly. <laughs> of people in New York. Okay, so do you have a best overall apple? Just favorite apple of the moment? Okay. All right, if you're really just going to find, look for one the, apple out there. Yeah, the ultimate apple snobs, maybe apple? or uh, no? um, Yeah. Is that uh, a different thing? Cox's okay. Orange Pippin. Okay. Orange. It has kind of an orangey flavor to it. Hmm. It's an old British apple. Hmm. And there's a couple others that go with it um, that are kind of in the same category called Orleans Rainette and uh, Darcy Spice. 
Oh, that sounds wonderful. Now, Cox was the name of the farmer. Orange was the name of the color. And Pippin? Uh, a pip is a seed. Like, oh, you know, pip in Great right. Expectations. Okay. Like, anyway, so a pippin is a tree, seed, a seedling that grew from a pip. Oh, okay. That's a really cute name. So it's, it's Mr. Cox's uh, yeah. apple, apple seedling. Exactly. I'm going to look out for those. Do it's worth it. All right, and and to check out more rare, interesting, amazing, incredible apples and learn more about the history of apples, definitely check out uh, Rowan's new book, Apples of Uncommon Character. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Gabby. And uh, just to let you guys know, for Cider Week, Rowan will be appearing um, at a couple upcoming dinners. There's one at uh, the Farm on Adderley Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, Farm on Adderley on Tuesday night, and the Pines tonight, Sunday. And then Back 40 West on Monday. Back 40 West. Definitely check that out. And um, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. It was fun. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.